Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of Tell the Damn Story. Actually, it's going to be two episodes. You see, Chris and I realized that if we were going to do an analytical discussion on Avengers Endgame, a three-hour movie, and really get into it, it was going to take longer than our usual 45 minutes to an hour. So I've divided a two-hour discussion into two parts, A and B, or 84 and 85. You can listen to them back-to-back, or... You can listen to episode 84, mull over the brilliant remarks that we make, or (laughs) tell us we're full of it, and then come back for 85. But either way, I hope you enjoy this particular subject matter as we discuss Avengers Endgame. Alex Simmons, it's Chris Ryan. Are you ready to oh, tell my the goodness. damn story? Yes, it's Chris. It's Chris, and I'm here, and you're here, and we're all here together. Holy excitement. Hey, everybody's here. <laughs> it's a wonderful time in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, we're all here because of Endgame. We're all here because we've gotten unsnapped. Yeah. We, are. <laughs> yeah, we, we made it back. We've come out of the, uh, wherever that is, which is another conversation. Like, where did they go? Yeah. I, wouldn't you love to see that? I'd love to see it as a featurette or something on the eventual uh, Blu-ray. The yeah. other side, you know? But uh, I think that'd be really expensive and, uh, yeah, and, uh, much more expensive than a featurette. Unless they, you know, maybe they film some scenes that they didn't use. Who knows? But we are here today to discuss uh, Endgame, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, spoilers, 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 spoilers. What are you trying so, to say, Chris? We, <laughs> I, I mean to say that we are going to spoil some aspects of Avengers Endgame, though I will say that at this point, uh, m- most of the uh, social media world... The known universe, world, yes. Yeah, it's well before us, so we're really not... Uh, villains here. Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't seen Endgame yet, put us on pause, go and see the film, and then we'll talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, put us on pause for three and a half, four hours, and come yeah, back. And that's fine with me. That's <laughs> fine with me. Um, Wait a minute, did you have trouble getting tickets? Because, you know, that was one of the things, was you had to, like, <laughs> well, plan I, ahead. Well, I have a secret weapon, Alex Simmons. I am married to the goddess, Oh, yes, so, that's true. That's as true. As soon as they went on sale, she scouted out two showings, and we had those tickets within two hours of them going on sale, like she was buying U2 tickets or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we wound up going to the 6.30 show that Thursday night, and then we went again uh, Sunday, as a group, as a family. But mm-hmm. uh, I will tell you, full confession, I snuck in a, a third showing, or I guess the second showing, on that Saturday, because T was working all night, all day, and I was free to get into trouble, so I chose to go solo <laughs> and sit in, and it was, it was the one seat in the back of the theater that was still available. Yeah. So that worked perfectly for me. So I've seen it three times because, I mean, when I when I really really like a film, I like to study the uh, nuances of it or as much as I can. And of course, I've listened to podcasts after podcasts and read twitters and 
you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's one of the reasons why we're talking today. Uh, Not because he likes me, but because, you know, he's done all this. (laughs) Well, and you went to see once, twice, or just... I've I've seen it twice. Yeah, so we're ready. Um, But one of the, you know, the thing that I pitched you before we recorded, uh, I guess a couple days ago now, is that um, a lot of the chatter on podcasts and YouTube shows and Twitter are coming understandably from younger members of the audience, you know, 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And um, uh, they committed uh, a form of sacrilege in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And we are here to correct that, damn it. Um, One of the things that uh, I heard talked about again and again was that... um, and a good number of these younger uh, social media people mm-hmm. were saying that they could do without the first hour. And I think it might be because they haven't experienced suffering and they haven't experienced loss. And those of us who are a little older and have, we understand how important that first hour is. That first hour may be the most important hour of the entire 22 film run. Uh, that's my opinion, not fact. Uh, but I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk about all three hours of it. And, you know, why so many of us wish it was a five-hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not necessarily among that crowd, but I, there are things that we'll, we'll bring that up during the discussion, that there are things, yeah, I would love yeah. to see as a, uh, uh, an extension of uh, but not necessarily yeah. sit in movie theater for five hours. But let me let me go back to what you just said about um, tying that, you know, hour. how people dealt with or how some people reacted to that first hour. Uh, not only did, you know, have you said, as you just said, you know, some of us who are older have experienced loss and, and that kind of pain. But I think also, and because, you know, telling the damn story is also about telling stories. One has to understand that not everything... should be on a speed track not everything is about get to the action get to the snappy dialogue because if you don't care about where these people are if you don't care about what's going on and you don't care about their motivations you don't care about their feelings so that we understand why they do what they do what you wind up with no matter what your age is is you wind up with folks sitting in a theater or sitting in front of their tv set going oh come on he would never do that i'd never do that right because you don't believe you haven't been prepared for the logical or illogical things these characters are about to do because you've ignored the thing that said, this is why, that I can't, I can't deal with what I'm feeling anymore, or I'm so angry I need to such and such, or I'm so afraid that, that I'm immobilized. You know, if we just cut to, I'm not doing it, or here we go, and... It didn't work the way you wanted to. Now I'm upset. You're going, well, what are you pissed off for? You got this, dude. You got that. Uh, I'll quickly say, uh, as an example, and I'll make this very quick because it is all about Endgame today. But when I went to see the movie Seven years ago with uh, Morgan Freeman and a young Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey, the very end of the movie, and I'm not going to worry about spoiler alert because if you haven't seen the movie, you know, too too darn bad. It was years ago. Um, At the very end of the movie... Yeah, I'll, I'll be kind. I'll be kind. I'll say this. At the end of the movie, the bad guy, which is Spacey, has manipulated, he's murdered people like crazy. He's manipulated our two heroes, our two police detectives, which is Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, 
into a horrendous situation. And he wants them to do this really terrible thing. In particular, he wants Brad Pitt to do this really terrible thing. And Pitt is in turmoil. He's pacing. He's back and forth. He's, 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 his emotions are going crazy. And Morgan's character is begging him not to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Spacey's character is basically saying, you got no choice. You're going to do it. You should do it. You know, you feel you want to do this. And when Pitt does the thing, the audience in the theater, almost the, the, the place was packed. The audience went crazy, cheering and rooting and everything like that. And I was sitting there feeling miserable because what Pitt did just destroyed his life. He was not going to win. I mean, he, he'd lost already. He'd lost something already. And now he had just totally given up his life because yeah, of this bastard. that, he let the bad guy win. He yeah. fulfilled the bad guy's plan. Right, exactly. And only Morgan Freeman, and it appeared to me at that moment in that theater, only Morgan Freeman and I understood that. And I was so yeah. depressed as I left. Great film. I mean, you know, as, as you know, not the most marvelous film I've ever seen, but a really well done film. But I understood why the character shouldn't make or do that last act. And most of the people were reacting viscerally. They were excited because the bad guy just mm, took one. Yeah, but he 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 took one happy because everything that he planned, every horrible thing he did worked out exactly the way he wanted it to. So when I look he at fulfilled the seven deadly sins. Right. And so when I looked at Endgame in that first hour, I understood, partially from what you're saying, from having experienced a number of years of loss, pain, and, and I'll I'll tell you, my, my trilogy for this or my my uh, triumvirate for this is is loss, uh, uh, love and sacrifice. That's what we see a lot of in this film. I understood all of those and had gone through a number of those emotions. And so as I was watching that first hour and watching these characters deal with what happened to them in Infinity War, I understood it. And I understood and appreciated the fact that not everybody reacted the exact same way, that each person was trying to deal with that in his or her own way or to the best of their ability, and they were not okay. This is not like a TV episode where next week everything's fine. You got shot up the week before, but you're 100% healthy now and you're already leaping rooftops. Yeah. This was yeah. people in great pain and loss and fear, and we needed to see how bad it was so that we understood what was coming next. Yeah, and I would say that that, that, that hour of pain and loss and desperation fuels the stuff that people uh, you know people were waiting for in mm -hmm. the theater without that you don't you don't get as as much of the payoff yeah I do want to say a few things um, before we start getting into details one uh, hats off to Kevin Feige and the Russo brothers and the writers Marcus and McFeely because uh, this is um, I don't know if it'll get the Oscar uh, accolades or anything like that, but this is a monumental achievement. Um, it changes the game for this genre, and uh, I think it will reward uh, rewatchings for you know years and years to come. Secondly, I agree with um, Mark Bernardin that this movie is about family and mothers and sons and fathers and, and sons, etc. And uh, family bond. Yep, family bonds that we're born into and the family we find 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also about loss and pain and guilt and how we deal with our failures and what happens when we can't. And this three-hour film is also, in my eyes, in three parts, and the Christian numerology is not lost on me, at least. You know, we suffer for our sins, we die and are re- reborn, and we find out what that new life is about. You know, and you can see that first hour is pain and failure. Second hour is hope, desperation, and reinvention or rebirth. And the third hour is the wildest, most exciting intervention ever filmed. Uh, <laughs> accept the pain, learn from the pain, turn pain into innovation, create a new, higher-level you with that pain as part of what drives you forward. And in a much more di- less, much less dynamic way, that's life, right? We don't have a magic hammer or a shield or, you know, armor. But we all, we all have to go through this cycle. Uh, And that's part of, I think, the reason why we're here is to learn and to hopefully uh, ascend to a better level us. And um, now that we've gotten all theoretical on it, let's get down and dirty (laughs) and talk about the stuff. Let's nerd out. Well, okay, so... Um, Go ahead, you start, because I, I have a well, thought. Well, I would, I would uh, make this uh, proposition, and that is that this is the first Marvel movie that you can't really fully appreciate all by itself. Mm. You know, every other <laughs> film, you can kind of jump in and follow what was going on. And you can with Endgame as well, but knowing the previous 21 movies enriches this experience to an unprecedented level. It also you know, takes Easter think... eggs to a whole nother level, too. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, that Easter bunny's out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's true, and there, there's stuff in there that I didn't notice the first time, didn't notice the second time, but by the third time, or after I've heard, you know, I heard new rock stars and a few others, and some of the stuff dawned on me. For example, the very first two lines of the movie from Hawkeye and he says to his daughter who is he's teaching how to you know teaching archery to he says you know where you're going alright let's, let's worry about how you get there mm-hmm. All right? and that's really uh, an idea of the whole film right yeah yeah I would, I would even though yeah. I didn't pick up on that the first time either you know yeah. and I think I'm sorry just to quickly say I think that that's um a hats off, another hats off to the writers and to the performers for not making those moments stand out like waving a flag, a red flag. Here, we're being that clever. That's an important line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you catch this? Uh, this is an Easter egg. This is a great and really important moment. No, you know, things flowed organically or seemed to flow organically in a way that, like you, you had to see the thing three times before you picked up on certain things. You know, that's the beauty of good storytelling and good performance. I'm sorry, and let me give it to the directors, too, obviously. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. So you were saying... Um, and Well, you said, I mean, I want to agree with the point that you said there. You talked about organically. And, uh, and again, you know, Marcus and McFeely, Russo Brothers, Feige, everybody involved in this, they worked very hard to make this film, and there's going to be naysayers who say this isn't organic, and that isn't organic. But overall, the 
amount of references and callbacks and pop culture references and, and, and life moments that they put in to a, I would say, overwhelmingly organic script and performance uh, is, is noteworthy and um, deserves a round of applause, you know? Um, there are so many payoffs. There's so many things. You won't watch. You know, the Russo brothers said this, and I thought that was just uh, hyperbole. But one of the, I think it was Joe Russo said, you won't be able to watch the first 21 films the same way again. Yeah. And he's correct. He's refreshed all of them. You know, or they have refreshed all 21 films. You can see it from a completely different uh, um, perspective now. And that's amazing. You know, even a film like uh, The Dark World, Thor The Dark World, which was considered one of the weaker, if not the weakest, of the films, takes a new vibrancy after this film, you know? And to be able to do that is uh, is a valuable thing. You know, good story, well told, and I am there. And that is what this film is. Um, do you want me to go to another point? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna also say, and I don't know if this is a bigger point, because you know, folks, I want you to understand. Even though we think a lot of these things through, Chris and I, we don't always script things out. We have sort of uh, a list of points that we want to touch on, and we move organically through that. There's that word again. So when I say to you, Chris, I'm not sure if I should drop this now or later, so, but I'm gonna drop it now anyway. Is one of the uh, things? Here it comes. Yeah, here it comes. Get your get your catcher's mitts out there. Um, one of the things that I think also we can look at at this moment is if you take away the capes, the spandex, the, the, the high-tech, wonderful, super Asgardian or Tony Stark type of gadgetry, if you take away all of that, you take away the galactic travel, we are, we sat and watched a three-hour war movie. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it's Saving Private Ryan, it's Sergeant York, it's Apocalypse Now, it's Casualties of War. Dirty Dozen. Yeah, the Dirty Dozen. It's, we watched... A war movie and if you strip it down to that reality that understanding then all of the emotional boys that this film touched from beginning to end make even more sense because it's telling you especially like with saving private ryan it's telling you that war is hell that people die that people are destroyed or damaged and some will fall apart because of it and some will somehow push forward, go forward, despite what's ahead. And that's what this was. This is, yeah, this is Marvel. This is all those familiar costume characters that you love to hate or love purely and that you've read or, for some folks, you've seen in the other 21 movies or on the TV show, although that, that's a whole other thing. But bottom line is, this was a story about people in war. And, and that's what we experienced in that first hour in particular and then moving forward from there. So I just wanted to you know, bring that up. That this is this well, in and of itself is that. And, and I agree with you. And I also would add to that that um, you know people say, "Oh, how convenient it was for the original six to not be snapped." And I think that was a uh, creative choice because they wanted to take the six that started the journey together in Avengers and take them to those last harrowing steps of the journey, you know. Uh, each one of these six are dealing with the loss 
in very different ways, you know? Uh, you have anger, you have desperate control, you have trying to see the good side and help others still. You have redemption, denial, and, and dep- what was that, depression? No, redemption, an attempt at oh, redemption. Well, event, but not in that first hour. I mean, you no, see no, the, no. But the you understand where everybody goes wrong, right? But you un- that first no, but you understand. You know, ever, all, all I'm saying is you understand that there's a character there who you've seen previously, and if you and why am I talking around circles? When you've watched the Black Widow and and Clint or Hawkeye talk in the previous films, you know they both have some history, and in particular, Widow's history, you know, especially if you know it from comics. You know, she started out as an assassin, not just a spy, but an assassin. So her coming through all of those levels of her life to that point within that first hour, even, we know she's carrying a lot of baggage. And, and uh, she, you, you know, know that, that first thing about having written on, in her ledger, you see her much more desperate to do good. Mm-hmm. You know, because of that ledge, uh, the ledger, because of the loss because she was on the road the redemption on the road to paying that back in her mind and in her conscience and then you know infinity war happened and mm-hmm. she's so desperate to you know she's almost um uh, uh post-traumatic stress disorder in that she's looking at every little thing as here it comes again you know that holographic scene when they're talking about each little thing and, you know, Captain Marvel, are you going to come back because she's so much power, so powerful? Rocket, are you looking at this? And then to Okoyo, you know, did you did you investigate that underwater earthquake, you know? And she, even that, even nature things are freaking her out. Now, you know, fanboys are saying, that's that's a, 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 a hint that a submariner is coming, and maybe it is. But Okoyo's response is, you know, it's a natural occurrence. You deal with an underwater earthquake by leaving it alone, you know, <laughs> but she can't because she's got that PTSD. Um, and we even have depression and alcoholism and all that sort of stuff. And I think I'd, I'd love to spend a couple of minutes talking about each one of those characters. And I want to start with Hawkeye, if you don't mind. No, 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 go ahead. Um, um, the movie starts with Hawkeye, and we see, we see him, you know, it's, it's such a great affront to Thanos' theory that, um, you know, this uh, death that he's offering the universe to, to balance the scales would be random and fair. You know, it wouldn't play favorites. And we see Hawkeye lose the four members of his family. He loses his entire family. And he can't see fair. And he can't, all he can see is rage right. and hate. And that's, you know, that's the road that he finds himself lost on. Um, you know, eventually there's a struggle between him and Black Widow as to who's going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And um, I'm a big fan of Mark Bernard, but I'm going to talk about that for a minute because on well, the Do you want to go there right at this point? Because well, we're just, still, still within that first hour. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to mention this one thing. Uh-huh. Okay. In, in talking about the film, he says, who gives an F about Hawkeye? And, you know, for what it's worth, I do. <laughs> and I do because of what we see in that first hour. What we see, in, in subtle ways, 
you know, throughout every appearance of Hawkeye, who he is, what he can do. And one of the things that I've always loved, Hawkeye's always been one of my favorites, because he's not superpowered, and he didn't, you know, survive a gamma accident or a super soldier syndrome or some, you know, and he was an orphan who trained himself with the help of the swordsman at a carny, okay? This is, this is the poor or working class hero you know, of the Avengers. And he has always been my ticket in to feel like I could be there and, and uh, uh, fully experience this, you know. And I was shocked uh, and disappointed in Bernard that he doesn't see that. Um, he wanted other questions and uh, asked, and we will talk about that in the second hour. But there's a guy uh, who gets turned into an assassin because the only thing he has left after the snap is hate, you know, and and we'll go to, you know, everyone else. You know, you have um, Captain America doing what. Can Captain I? America I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Does. Before you before you do Cap, but since you since you went that way with Clint, let me just also add one other thing. If you go back to uh, the first Avengers movie, no, sorry, not is that the. You're gonna have to help me with this. You, yeah, it's the uh, first Avenger movie where Clint is taken over. Right. Okay. He's taken over. Do you remember the conversation between him and Black Widow when she finally, you know, when he's finally freed of that 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 control, you know, and he's talking about the darker past and and whatever else. We we get a hint right then and there about the you know the trial by fire that both these characters have gone through, and the and the the, the terrible things or the things that they now deem as unworthy of them that they've gone through that they've done in the past. So I think, you know, again, looking at storytelling, folks, let's, you know, let's tell the damn story. Looking at storytelling, planting that seed or exploring that moment that many movies ago, when you see what happens to Clint in this film, you understand he's reverted. He's gone back to a place that he thought he'd left. And, and somewhere in between those darker days of his... And this particular moment in time and space with Endgame, he had changed, married, had kids, and had that life on that farm, which we also experienced again in Age of Ultron, which is, you know, when that family was introduced to us. He had all of that, and all of that was ripped out of his hands. And that... His salvation was ripped away from him. Right, and so... Again, what you're saying about Thanos' theory, well, that's one thing. Thanos was a fool anyway. <laughs> but we know in history we've had those. And the other thing is that, once again, the, the loss, the pain, the anger. We needed that first hour to see what he had lost, to be reminded of what he cared for most, how he cherished it, and what had been taken from him. I'm sorry, I just wanted to yeah. make those connections. No, I agree, and it, it gave me a chance to recalibrate. So I don't want, I'm going to hold off on Cap for a minute and talk about the next moment in the film, which is, you know, you go from Hawkeye's loss to uh, being dead in space. Tony, with, uh, yeah. Tony Stark, you know, uh, the Lord of Mechanics in a machine that is dead, you know, in an ocean of nothingness. Stars, you know, unable stars to and darkness. out of this, you know? Yes. And uh, again, hats off to the filmmakers because the music they chose was, you know, Please Mr. Fantasy. It's justified because of Quill's, 
Zoom or whatever his music player was. Um, but the, the lyrics of that, please, Mr. Fantasy, play us a tune, um, make us happy, take us from this gloom. If you thought straight, we would not have known you all this time, right? And new rock stars, and Bernard, and then a few others have mentioned this. I'm not, this is not a new discovery. I'm borrowing it from them. Um, it's, again, so applicable to Tony Stark, you know, uh, and sets up that he's going to be somebody we're going to have to follow, right? we're going to have to watch. Um, that we, you know, we, um, we also use this guy who surrounds himself with machine and he's pitted with Nebula, who is machine. You know, there are two sides of the same coin. You know, the guy who relies on the machine and who she relies on the machines that have been added to her. So it's it's a fascinating pairing, you know. Mm -hmm. And he shows her kindness, and she wins for the first time. And it puts her on a path um, that is going to prove important in a completely different and original way than we store her importance in the comic book version mm-hmm. of this tale, you know? And again, credit for that. Um, yes, you know, Captain, Mar- uh, Captain Marvel finds them and all that, and some people have been complaining about that. But again, the writing is so tight, and this is where fanboys would want a five-hour version of this. They want to see that scene after the uh, end credit Avengers scene in Captain Marvel. But you know, before this starts, where she says, you know, she says, where's Nick Fury? And they tell her, and she can't help him, but they say, you could find, and Rocket probably has the tracking signal for the for the Benatar, which is the ship they're on. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense to me that she would be able to track from there. So I didn't need to see that thing. Um, and again, that you know, that's one of the things we talk about, too, is the intensity of fan fanaticism or fan favor you know it's it's like what you want to see what you want to see is not always the best way to tell a story yeah you know there's uh, uh, a couple guys david bromberg yeah uh, he was a folk musician and i guess james uh, uh, james mcmurtry is the same and when you see those two people in concert they're in separate concerts and <laughs> someone shouts out a song of theirs they say a similar thing. They say, you know, you know what you want to hear. I know what you're going to hear. Right. You know, right. And if you buy the ticket, take the ride. You, you know, that, that's Hunter Thompson. You know, we paid to see what the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely and Kevin Feige came up with. I don't know where, the, I guess it's because you're so free on the uh, social media uh, that you get to say, well, you know, Oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting confused between going and seeing someone's interpretation of the story or ordering off the menu. You know, when we go, we don't Column A, column order, B, yeah. Right, right? We, we watch the presentation. And, you know, there are people, I, I saw them arguing about it last night, and, and they were arguing, I saw it both in yet another Endgame argument and a Game of Thrones argument. And, and when there was pushback on people criticizing either of those, they would, you know, the people who were criticizing would get all huffy and say, oh, sure, you're just sheep. Ex- 
accepting everything that is given to you. No, we're not sheep. This is the tale. Just it's, There's a difference between he was a failure in sh- storytelling and, well, it, they didn't show me what I wanted to see. Exactly. And I, and I think people need to know the difference, you know? Um, for example, we'll go back to Tony Stark. When he gets off uh, that um, ship, he's, he's collapsing. And then when we see him, he's kind of, it looks like he's in a wheelchair with an IV. And he's the frailest we have ever seen him. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, and I, I don't know whether uh, Robert Downey Jr. got to that weight or whether it was CGI. But it doesn't make a difference to me. There's an important and, and, and shocking revelation of how much of a toll this has taken on you know, on, on Tony Stark, on Iron Man, right? And that he lashes out at Steve Rogers, you know, throwing blame, and, and, and you can still see the level of anger between, you know, uh, between the two, especially from coming from Tony, that we saw in the first Avengers, that antagonism, and that we saw in uh, uh, a little of the challenging arguments um, in Age of Ultron, and then finally, what we saw in Civil War, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, that they didn't forget that, and and you know, I mean, at first I thought they might have because when when Tony Stark comes off that ship, the first thing he says to Cap is, "I lost the kid," you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I'll confess that the tears came up a little bit. Because that's his paramount thing. This is what's haunting him more than anything else. You know, that he lost uh, Parker. He lost Spider-Man. And, yeah. and Steve has to tell him we all lost. And it's only when he feels a little better that the anger comes back. And he quits. He walks away. And we see, you know, that denial, that rejection, that, that uh, you know, uh, transference. And we see what, where that leads him later on. You know, meanwhile, Cap is still trying to help, you know, still, uh, you know, advising others, trying to keep them going on. He's at the therapy session, but he, he admits to Black Widow, he, he's not following his own advice. He's not moving on. He can't. And neither can she. She's, she's falling apart after that meeting, you know. She's so concerned. And she's crying because she talked to Rhodey about Hawkeye. And Hawkeye is in Mexico. Last, you know, last day I saw he was in Mexico. He killed an entire cartel. Mutilated mm-hmm. them. And, and like you said, Black Widow understands that headspace. She had been, she'd been trained to live in that headspace, to be that assassin. And it breaks her heart that the person who saved her you know, remember that backstory. Hawkeye was sent to assassinate her, and he made another choice. Mm-hmm. She says that in two or three different movies, right? Um, and let her in, let her into the path of uh, of um, redemption, as you were saying. And she knows she's desperate to help him, desperate to help everybody, and that's her journey, you know. And and then we see Thor, and you know. Holy crap. I, I was so surprised when I started hearing uh, people complaining that they were making fun of alcoholics and that's, you know, body shaming using Thor. 
you know, I, all I, look, I saw was pathos. There, yeah, right? but okay, and and I'm I'm with you. Um, I I wasn't upset or thrown by that either. I I took it in two levels. One, I got where he was, and and you and I talked about that, and I'll mention that you know in a bit. But the other thing was that I've again war movies, war. You know, Vietnam. I had friends who, who fought in Vietnam. I know, not from my own personal experience on the battlefield, but from the people that have touched my lives over the years, I know what that kind of battle and that kind of defeat and that kind of loss has done to other human beings. And they break down in different ways. Now, the, the, the movie, again, to Marvel's credit as a filmmaking entity did not let go completely of some of the humor that they established using the Thor character, uh, like in Ragnarok, but also even in the first Avengers movie, his interactions with Hulk. You know, they played some of these things for a touch of humor. So they addressed, they addressed alcoholism and they addressed these other things as part of this is the pain and this is the path that this character chose. To, to, as, uh, to, to go on because of the two words we've already been using which is loss you know and sacrifice and things like that but also another word fear up until this battle this infinity war and and now you know the, the where they are with Endgame at this point in the story Thor, as we've seen him on film, really doesn't get beaten down, defeated. He doesn't really, really, really lose. It's not something he's used to. He was, from the first Thor movie coming forward, he was, he was arrogant. Yeah, he lost. He had his powers taken from him at one point. He learned a little bit of humility. But he came back within, you know, within the storytelling, within a matter of days, and he was, he was Thor again. He was kicking butt and taking names. And he's done that a lot throughout the films. He's but each film has brought him closer and closer to the moment that they experienced in Infinity Wars and for everybody who saw Infinity Wars, you must remember that he was the one to strike Thanos last. And Thanos looks him in the eye and says you should have gone for the head. Snaps the fingers and boom, everybody's gone. So what, say, yeah, what is he, he carrying? What is he carrying in his head well, and his he's heart? Carrying, yeah, he's carrying this, you know, while he's a hero, if we, if we look, he lost his wife, excuse me, his mom, right? He mm-hmm. lost his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost his father. He lost his brother a couple of times. Um, and then... Uh, Half the universe. The Asgard. <laughs> He lost to Asgard, and then he lost half the universe. He was there. He was, you know, that moment of braggadocio. I told you I would kill you for this. You should have gone for the head. Now, uh, all of that is is devastating him. And, you know, you see him make jokes and kind of that Ragnarok tone, but, it's, you know, it's not... It doesn't ring the same way. It's not the Thor comedy hour. No, it's not. There's there's a pathos. There's a a desperation. There's a fear. There's a tear in his eye. 
all the way through. And I, I, I would say to the people who found this, uh, like they were making fun of, you know, body shaming or, or alcoholism, like that, that you go back and look at it again. It is actually a extremely sensitive and well thought out treatment of what the pain is that people who uh, may experience body shaming or alcoholism, what they're actually going through. And I, and it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, Captain Marvel gives them the get, giddy up and go, let's, let's go do this, you know? Uh, and even though, you know, Hulk is saying, nah, this is terrible, you know, you know, it's not thought out. Even he goes out in the, in the Hulk bus uh, uh, outfit and they go to Thanos and they get him and they beat the hell out of him and the stones are gone because he used the stones to destroy the stones and he takes their last hope from him and Thor beheads him. He does go for the head and it's an absolute hollow victory. And he just falls deeper into the hole, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and that's what we see in that hour, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's not until a rat steps on the right button and spits Scott, uh, 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 what's it, Scott, Scott Lang out of the, uh, the, the microverse or whatever they, yeah. Yeah, the, what is that called? Um, something real, yeah. um, quantum real. Yeah. Uh, that hope is pouring back into the universe, you know? Um, and he, I love that he doesn't have it all figured out. So they have to go to Tony. And it gives her a great opportunity to see how completely Tony has given up and he's went to hide, you know, and found heaven. You know, he's on that, I guess you could call it a farm. It looks like it's a beautiful chalet or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's got Peppa, and they have a baby girl, and she's adorable, and he's really happy with her. And he says, I can't risk it. Yeah. It's, you know, you got to go. I can't. But then we get to see that just like Cap and just like Black Widow and Hawkeye, and, you know, the reason why Thor continues to drink and so on is because they can't let it go. You know, Cap says, we tell everyone to move on, but we don't. And, and it bugs Tony until he can't get any rest, right? Beppa says that. And he figures out the unfigurable, right? Isn't that perfectly Tony mm -hmm. Stark? Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what he does. Um, that's a big yeah, part of what he does. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's an idea of we have to be our true selves, our, you know, our best true selves to live the life we're supposed to be living. And he makes the offer, you know, he, he, he offers Pepper the, uh, you know, 30 silver coin, you know, just say the word and I'll drop this idea and I'll put it in a box and drop it in the bottom of the lake. And she says, you know, you won't be able to rest because she knows she, she is her own true self, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we get, this brings us to hour two, which is, as I mentioned to you uh, when we were talking about this, the giant-sized summer annual, <laughs> you know, part of this movie, right? When we were growing up, we would get these 60 or 100-page comics 
that would be this fantastic adventure, usually a crossover with DC. It was JLA and JSA. If it was the Avengers, you know, all these people would come in and help out. And they'd break off into different groups and go off on an adventure and then come back for the big rousing finish. And, oh my God, what a, a, a callback to my childhood this second part was. Pure sci-fi, pure summer annual, you know, giant-sized Avengers, number 2019. <laughs> 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 you know, um, I do, I forgot one thing. It, um, when they go five years ahead, that black screen with the white letters five years later, yeah. I always think, I always think that's a nod to Ghostbusters. Because in the second movie, that's how it started five years later. Um, and then things weren't as good. And we saw that with the Avengers as well. But let's go to part two. Yeah. Let's go to the giant size annual, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. Uh, it, holy shit, it is. Uh, oh, excuse me. Excuse me, crazy. Um, it's, you know, it's a fun adventure. And then with darkness. You know, um, we get to see Professor Hulk. Uh, the, uh, yes, helps go through, right? And, and, um, we, and we get and, the, and, we, what, what was funny to me was the the way he was sort of explaining how he he came together. I just had visions of not Banner, but but the Hulk taking yoga or in some monastery <laughs> or something, you know, going out yeah, Zen uh, <laughs> to get his head uh, together. Uh, he, Here's another complaint that uh, fan, fanboys have, that Hulk was the worst part of the movie. He didn't do anything. And again, you have to recalibrate. This is not the Hulk smash Hulk. This is a whole different kind of Hulk, you know? And uh, ultimately, we'll talk about, you know, he did the big thing, right? But, uh, and fans say, well, we, why couldn't we have seen you know, Banner and Hulk working this out to merge. Well, because it's a three-hour movie. What you're asking for is that five-hour movie we were talking about. Yeah. You know? And and I think at that point, where Scott Lang comes in, Scott Lang is a lightning factor in the movie, when the movie is at its dark, darkest, right? He is the, he is the, the turnaround. And that takes you from Act One to Act Two. And, and, and let us—I'm sorry—but also let us let us look at one of the reasons he is is because he has not suffered those five years. He was not in the war itself, and uh -huh. he did not suffer for five years dealing with the loss that the others had. So when he comes into the world, literally within hours, he is learning what happened while he was gone, what he has uh -huh. lost. And he's going through that. No, there's got to be. A, there's got to be another way. There's got to be something. There's got to be something. Yeah. You know, he's there because he hasn't. He, you know, for him it was. What did they say in the movie? It was like it was like five minutes. Yeah, it was five hours. Five, five hours. hours. Okay. Yeah. You know? And and you know, it's it's so funny because he kind of aligns with the fanboys in that he doesn't understand what the others are going through. Yeah. You know, right? He's coming to this with new and fresh eyes. And instead of saying why or whoa or, you know, he's saying why not. Which, yeah. You know, credit to the fanboys and credit to Scott Lang. You need that to move forward. You need to get to the next level with that, which God bless him. Um, and then we get to see Hulk and just the differenceness of Professor Hulk from, and that's not a word, by the way, 
uh, from either <laughs> Banner or Hulk Smash Hulk. It, it has to be seen first as almost comedic. You know, he's like a rock star now. Matter of fact, kids come up and ask for his autograph. Yeah. And then there's that great... There's a selfie. Scott Lang. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want my autograph? Ah, you know, they don't know who I am. <laughs> But that's, you know, again, in storytelling, you ease up. Then you get intense again. You rise and you fall. Yeah. You create this wave because you're building. And you can't hold that yeah. tension and that that hold your breath for two hours. You don't do that even in a 90-minute movie. You know, you ebb and yeah. flow. So you, so people have a moment to relax. And even in, especially in horror films, you know, there's those moments yeah. where things get calm and, and sort of, you know, maybe we're safe. Maybe it's going to be all right. Maybe we're going to get through it. And boom, there you are again, back in danger right. or the monster's got you or you're watching somebody being eviscerated or whatever it is. You know, and, and it, it just plays with your emotions. It plays with the energy and the, and the pacing. This is storytelling. And, and also, again, to the folks, you know, fanboy or otherwise, who wanted to see, you know, Banner and Hulk, blah, 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 or whatever other pieces that were transitional moments in a character's life, let's remember how many characters we're dealing with in this movie. <laughs> You know, you're saying five hours. I'm thinking, brother, if we put in all of those those glory moments or those little moments that people would love to see, it would have been a weekend event. You go in on Friday uh, evening and you come out Monday morning. You know, okay, that would have been about it. It's, you know, it's the equivalent of seeing, you know, a season of Daredevil on Netflix where there's 13 hours of storytelling. Or a certain yeah, friend really of mine who, who yeah, a certain friend of mine who who decided to binge watch Game of Thrones, all all the uh -huh. episodes. You know how many are there? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was eighty hours, but we loved it. Yeah, but see, oh, but that's know, what I'm saying. Lot, it, it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, but that's what it is in real time. In real, real, watch this story time. You're talking about yeah, days yeah, of your lives. You, you, and that not the not the soap opera, you know. So it's right. it's a thing of where realistically good storytellers understand. Just like I talk to people when I teach them about creating a comic book, you may have the movie in your head when you're drawing this comic or writing this comic, but you can't show every scene, every sequential action from start to finish. You don't have that time and that space, so you have to pull the snapshots. What's the most important moment to show in each panel that takes the story from beginning to end? That's what you do. Those are the decisions you make. And in filmmaking, it's the same thing. You have a little more time to deal with, but bottom line is, I can't show everything. What's the yeah. most important moment, subtle and otherwise? And, and some of those fans who were talking about that were saying, well, you know, I, I could have done with less Scott Lang wandering around and... Uh, more uh, uh, of the, you know, the Hulk transition. And uh, he wasn't wandering around. You know, he was experiencing the world's pain. We got to see how bad the world was. You know, you walk down a, a suburban street and every pole is full of missing people posters and a little kid, you ask him, you know, a kid on a bike, what happened? And he turns around and looks at you with such anger and then you go and see what seemed like an endless uh, display of names on big, uh, 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 almost huge t tombstone. 
And can I, I can I rock that one? Let us bring it back to reality. Posters on on poles and things like that. Nine Eleven here in New York, and absolutely exactly. almost every area in and around that part of Manhattan, from about Twenty Third Street all the way down to the Battery. So you're talking about I don't know easily several miles. You would find yeah. flyers or, or or handwritten notes. Have you seen this person? So and so is missing. We love you. What a, that was that was reality. That's what that was like for for a year, if not more. Okay, and then in terms of the the names on the stones, well, gee, <laughs> what comes to mind for that? You know, well, I, I mean, there's so many, right? right? Even small towns in the center of town, a traffic circle, something, they'll have a war memorial. Names are on there. You That's know? right. Um, down by the uh, sh uh, shipyard, down the south, uh, southern part of Manhattan, or in Washington, D.C., you know, the Vietnam Memorial. Right. And on and on and on. It is and, part of our culture. And the but one once thing... Again, Go ahead. One, once again, that's something that's more of an experience for... Uh, people with a few more years on them, you right. know, than, than, you know, the 20-somethings. You know, the 20 and 30-somethings, very rarely, you know, they were very young when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. Or were not born, you know. Um, I think the earliest 20s, you're starting to get into people who weren't born when that happened. Well, you know, the other thing, 23, they were five. They don't remember it. The the other thing you're dealing with, too, um, and there's a line in a TV show that I was, I was thinking about as well, but... One of the things you also deal with is, for many people, the greatest pain wasn't getting the notice that your your loved one was killed in action and the body is returned and you have the funeral and sort of that. Yeah, that was that was pain. That was that was hurt. But the MIAs, the people who went yeah. missing, that you don't know what happened to them, you don't know what they suffered, you don't know if they're still alive somewhere. You don't, but you've got to live with the fact that you'll probably never see them again. You know, and so what and, have we got? And, We've got half the universe vanished. Yeah, and he's, you know, Scott's searching so desperately, praying, no, please, please, no, no, hoping that he doesn't see his daughter's name. Yeah. And then he sees his own, mm -hmm. you know? It's almost a Twilight Zone episode, you know? Yeah. Uh, the world thinks he's dead, you know? And let's go to that moment when he does find his daughter, you know? And, and that hug, and then that, you know, that fan service inside, he says, you know, you're so big, which, yes, there's that five-year turn, and, you know, we've all experienced that, haven't seen a nephew or a niece or somebody mm -hmm. in so long, and then, right? Um, but it also is a wink and a nod that she eventually becomes the character's stature, which is, uses his dad, her dad's technology to get really big, yeah. you know? So, um, so we go, and those are lighter moments, and it, it brings us so beautifully out from uh, the darkness into the light. You know, when he winds up, hi, you know, you remember me? I met you in a, par in a uh, Airport. parking lot in Germany. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, you know, and then they go, and they see Hulk, that's a little lighter, and then they, tr they tr actually try, and uh, Scott Lang becomes an old man, he becomes a baby, you know, those moments are so necessary after that first hour to bring us into the second hour. And then uh, Tony shows up with the answer because Tony always shows up with the answer, <laughs> you know. Um, and they get to go on those adventures. And again, this is such a giant-sized annual 
experience, you know. They go back to the Battle for New York, but from a different perspective, you know. And there are so many moments that are fantastic, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, they're all in the, they, they get what they need, and they're all in the uh, elevator. Mm-hmm. And they won't let Hulk in the elevator. Hey, hey, we wait the passage. <laughs> Take the stairs. Oh, hey, just stand. And, you know, that's such a comedic moment, right? And if you notice, it's the Battle of New York version of the Avengers that are cutting up and, and cutting the jokes. Not the 2019, let's say, Avengers who have traveled back. They're not cracking the jokes. They're very, very serious. Absurd stuff happens to them, but they're not cracking jokes about it. But we still get the levity, which, again, is fantastic writing. And they have everything. They are going without a problem. And that joke of the Hulk going down the stairs pays off to mess up their plan because he slams out of the staircase and not, you know, older Tony on his butt. And away goes the Tesseract. And then Loki picks it up and disappears. And that's, you know, that's such a Loki moment. But it also, you know, kind of sets him up to still be alive and to have that series that we know that's coming up in Disney+. Plus. So I think we're going to see more of that story, you know, from these different series. And that's kind of interesting. But um, it allows us to start getting more serious. Oh, crap. You know, it wasn't as easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, Hulk has to talk to the ancient one, and and that works out well. And these guys screw up the Tesseract, and then they have to go back to this 1970s, and we get to see Stan Lee, which is a great moment. But in that 1970s, Tony Stark accidentally meets his own dad. Yeah. You know, uh, we should have we should have talked about Cat first Cat. Great moment, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> that provides a serious, the cat, I mean, Tony meets his own dad, closes a circle, brings closure on a, uh, um, a sub-story, a subplot that has been going on since the first Iron Man movie. There's always been a tension between father and son, mm-hmm. a resentment, and to be able to go back and fix a mistake or learn from a mistake or bring closure, you know, find peace with the past is so important to complete who you are, right? And he, it's, it's so interesting that he does that and Cap accidentally has that starts, moment, yeah, where um, yeah, his circles, you know, he sees Peggy and we don't really know whether that's just a, a, a one-off but it renews that you know, that moment that we've seen in so many films that he opens up his... Um, the compass? Uh, compass, and there's yeah. her picture, right? Now he sees her... You know, the map is not the territory. Seeing a picture of her is one thing. Yeah. Seeing her right there, he could have run through that door and grabbed her, you know, and gave her a kiss. She wouldn't know what the hell was going on, but, you know, it reawakened something. 